So we are in the midst of this series, What Do I Do About? And it's interesting, Philippians 4, 4 through 9 has kind of been a foundational verse throughout the whole thing. And, and I hope you picked up that as we've been going through all the way now, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, that uh, there are, this is really an antidote for anxiety and fear and uncertainty. I mean, it's not just a bunch of words that we're trying to memorize. This is an antidote. This is the opposite of what our world is trying to present to us. Our world is presenting a world that is anxious and full of fear and uncertainty. And what does Paul give us? The peace of God, which passes all understanding and guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So when we feel anxiety rise, rejoice in the Lord. Say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Choose not to be anxious. Don't be anxious, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. It's an antidote. And when we do this, the promise is the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And if we tenerpola, if we think about whatever is true, right, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, etc., then too, the God of peace will be with you. The promise of the world, anxiety, fear, uncertainty. The promise of the Father, peace. What do we choose? So today, as we talk about what do I do about it, I'm, I'm talking about uh, what do we do now that the election is done? So a couple weeks before the election, we talked about how do we approach things as we move into the election, and then we had a, a God Story Sunday, and Patty preached last week about division in the church, the big C church, and even the little C church. She did an amazing job, and if you, hadn't, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go online and listen to that message. And so today, we're going to talk about, now that the election's over, what do we do? So to help us with that, I'm going to share a parable. But before we start this parable, I'm going to bring this picture up. Uh, this picture I brought up at the beginning of this series, and it's just a reminder of the way our brain is kind of divided out in parts of it. The top part is the neocortex, and this is where our reasoning happens. This is where we think. This is where we reason, Okay. The blue area is the limbic part of our brain, and that's where the social and the emotional pieces are. That's uh, relationships, feelings, emotions, passions, all that kind of stuff reside there. And then the red part down at the bottom is our amygdala, or it's the fight or flight. This is when something comes at us, we, we just respond, okay? So top part, reasoning. We think through facts. 
We get into the blue part, that's emotions and feelings. And, and so we respond and think more out of our passions and feelings. And, and then you get down to the red part, and there's no thinking. It's just respond. You just, boom. Now, the limbic part and the amygdala part are important parts of our being. It, we need our emotions. We need our passions. They're given to us by God. We need the amygdala. We need the fight or flight because it is a source of protection for us. It can save us from trouble. So those things aren't bad. It's just a reminder that our best and most clear thinking place is up in the yellow part or the neocortex. So I'm going to tell a par- parable. Uh, this is, parable was actually written by a professor named Jonathan Haidt. And he did a whole series of studies on our decision process. And part of his whole thinking and his study shows that most of our decisions are made in the limbic part of our brain. So here's the parable. It's the parable of the elephant and the rider. An elephant rider set off to visit his aunt in another town. He mounted the sitting elephant and began shouting and yelling for it to stand. The elephant did not stir. He kicked and punched the elephant, but the elephant stayed put. Finally, he grabbed a stick and hit the elephant. And at the exact same moment, the elephant noticed a tree with delicious fruit in the distance. So it stood up. And it made its way forward toward the fruit. Ha, said the rider to himself, I knew hitting you would get you going. Later, they came to a fork in the road. The path on the right led to his aunt's house. And the path to the left led to his mother's house. The rider pointed, tugged, and urged his elephant to go right. But the elephant decided to go left. When the rider arrived at his mother's house, his mom said, I thought you were visiting your aunt today and not me. The rider, feeling a bit embarrassed, explained, That's true, but when I came to the fork in the road, I decided I really wanted to see you, and so I came this way. The truth behind the parable, as Jonathan Haidt communicates, is this. The rider represents your reasoning faculties or your neo-gortex. The elephant represents your emotional faculties or your limbic part of a brain. Many of us think we make the vast majority of our decisions with facts and figures up in the neocortex But what he has found through research is that most of us, and most of the time, we make our decisions in the limbic part, in the emotional part. So we make our decisions like the elephant, and then we use the neocortex to explain or defend our decision. So in other words, we make a decision out of our emotions. Again, nothing wrong with our emotions. But we make a decision 
kind of emotionally, and then when we move forward and maybe somebody questions our decision, or maybe we think we made a wrong decision, we defend our decision with the neo-Gortex. People follow their hearts. They follow their feelings. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? It's okay to follow your passions and your hearts and your feelings. It's just that we need to recognize that many of our decisions are based more on heart and feeling and emotions than they are on facts. And why is this important for today? Well, as we talk about all the issues that face us, and especially as we talk about politics, and we talk about elections, and we talk about what side we are on, and all of that kind of stuff, many of our decisions, even related to politics, are made within passion. I share with you at the very beginning, what do... What does the media do? It taps into our emotion to draw us in. It gets us to make decisions based on emotions. Pastors and preachers do the same thing. We tell you stories that tap into your emotion. We try to engage your feelings so you can make a decision or Follow what we're trying to tell you. It's what we do, and many of us make decisions accordingly. So many of us make emotional decisions around politics, and we respond emotionally to others who have a different decision or different response. So how do we still live within our emotion and our passion and our heart and come alongside somebody who is also living out of their emotion and their passion and their heart? And how do we walk hand in hand, listening to each other, trying to understand each other, and maybe, just maybe, learning from somebody else? Well, Paul talks about this in Romans 1. He says this, starting in verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Now, before we get off and we say, yeah, that's those people out there, we in here 
do the same thing. In fact, Paul in verse 18 says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. We are part of that all. We all do that. Notice that there were some words that we see in the church. Gossip. Deceit. Greed. Slander. Arrogance. I've seen that in the church. And what Paul is talking about there is that... um, when we respond out of our passions, our desires that are disordered, it leads to sin. In fact, if you remember a year ago, we did a whole series on the great deception. And part of that series around the great deception is that our hearts, our passions are disordered. Okay? They're, they're out of line. We have to submit our passions to Christ. If all we do is function in our passions and our desires are disordered and the evil one, Satan, comes and he deceives us in relationship to our passions and our disordered desires. I'm teaching a PSEO class on philosophy I know many of you are going, yes, philosophy, absolutely love it. Um, It was interesting because just this last week in this philosophy class, we were talking about morality. And one of the questions we were dialoguing about is is this question, is it ever morally okay to lie? Now, after some great discussion in the class, the students of my class came up with the answer, yes. Now, before any of us go, wow, these kids nowadays are... I just... I have lied and thought it was for a good reason. I've done that. And if... I'm just going to say, if you're honest... You've done the same thing somewhere along the life. Right? So we may say with our mouth that it's morally wrong to lie, but we live that it's morally okay to lie. In fact, just yesterday, it's funny how God puts all these pieces together. Just yesterday, um, I officiated a wedding. It was a uh, our oldest son, uh, the bride, was a really good friend of our oldest son, and so we have known the family for a long time, and so we, uh, Terry and I were both at the wedding, officiated the wedding. After the wedding, before the reception, as before dinner was served, we were, you know, visiting with people, and I'm around these three guys, and these three guys are my age, maybe a, a little older, and they've been in an accountability group with the bride's father for, for many years. These guys are like, these are men of God. I mean, um, they are iron sharpened iron. They are, you know, passionate about their relationship with Jesus. 
And they, a couple of them had moved away, and so they hadn't seen each other. And so I'm in this with these three guys, and they're talking, and all of a sudden somebody shares something going on, and the others say, hey, let's pray right now. So they stopped, and they prayed right now. And, I mean, that's just, that's just the way they were. And they, hey, Pastor Brad, do you have any prayer requests? I said, yeah, I do. I have something coming up this week. And so they stopped and prayed for me right at, at that moment. I share all that with you because in the course of our conversation, um, they were joking about one of them being called pastor and the other one being called dad and a lie that happened. Well, what happened is one of the other guys' daughter was in the hospital. She's in her 20s. She was in the hospital. And so two of these guys were going to go to the hospital and visit. They get to the hospital. And of course, today, unless you're a relative, you're not in. So the one guy says to the person at the counter, I'm a pastor, and this is her father. And they went in and spent some great time ministering to this gal. They morally made a decision that it was okay to lie in this situation because what they were doing, wanting to care for this person, it, it meant it was okay to do that. Now, <clears throat> we imagine all of us got different things going through our brains. It's like, wow, these are men of God and they lied that blatantly? I mean, what, what's going on? I share this story with you because we, followers of Jesus, do this kind of stuff all the time, even with our politics. We turn a blind eye to stuff that a politician does because it's my politician. When a political party is, it, my political party is saying stuff that is contrary to the gospel, I don't speak out. I keep silent because it's my political party. But the other political party does something Oh man, you know I'm all over that. We, and I put myself in this too, as followers of Jesus, we make moral decisions all the time. Decisions that are based in our limbic, emotional, passion area all the time. So, what do we do? I'm glad you asked. The first thing that we do is we renew our mind. I'm going to be pulling some verses out of Romans 12 and 13. I just want to encourage you this week, to read Romans 12 through 15. Just meditate on Romans 12 through 15 this week. Read it together in your household and talk about it this week. There's so much more than what we can pull out in these few minutes that we have, but there's so much here. Romans, Romans 1 through 11 is really Paul expressing his theology and his thoughts on how everything looks. Romans 12 through 15 is, this is how it works 
in my life. So, renew your mind. Familiar verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is where it begins. It's recognizing that my mind needs to be renewed all the time. My my needs, the Holy Spirit to come in and work on my passions and my desires, especially those that are disordered. This renewing of the mind isn't for young adults or young Christians or those who are new. This renewing of the mind is really important for those who've been followers of Jesus all our life because we think, excuse me, I think, because I've been a Christian for 50 plus years, I think that I have it all together. No, I don't. My mind needs renewing every day. Look what the Proverbs says in Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Heart, that's another another way of describing the limbic or the emotional part of our brain where our passions are. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. When, when I take the teaching of God and get it into that emotional, passional, limbic part, not just in the reasoning part, but in the limbic part, it begins a transformation. It begins to change and it brings many years of peace and prosperity because I'm becoming more like Christ as I get to know Him. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, your limbic part of your brain. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man, which is really important. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make, path, make your path straight. In other words, my passions and my emotions, my heart, I need to trust in the Lord and submit to Him and let Him renew and transform. I need to let Him do it. That's trusting Him with all my heart. Another thing we need to do is love others. Yeah, this is a no-brainer, right? We hear this all the time. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We hear it all the time. And we hear that, hey, we're not only supposed to love the people we like, we're supposed to love our enemies. Then let's, let's do it. Let's practice it. Romans 12 says this, Love must be sincere. sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. This is all important. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Loving others is putting others before me. What else do we need to do? We need to um, bless and don't curse. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Simple, right? No, 
It's there. It's clear. It's harder to do. So bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Don't curse. Don't speak against somebody. Don't slander somebody. Bless. 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 Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That means getting into intimate relationships with people. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. Not just those that I like. Not just those that have the same beliefs that I have. Not just those in my political party. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge says the Lord. It's not mine to avenge. It is God's to avenge. On the contrary, if, here it is, your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you see it? Our world tells us, get revenge, power over, divide. And Paul is telling us here, no, 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 no. Love, especially your enemy, bless especially that person that persecutes you, that enemy of yours, feed them. Give them something to drink. Invite them over to your house. Build a relationship with them. Love them. You're going to overcome evil, not with evil. You will overcome evil with good. That is the kingdom of God. And remember, we are citizens of heaven first. Citizens of anything else, way second. What else are we supposed to do? This is the hard one. Submit to governing authorities. All right? Romans 13, 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, usually when we read this verse, we start thinking of, well, we can do that, but in this situation, no. Or in this situation, if this happens, no. Okay, I just want to say, let's not take that verse out and then just start making all the reasons why we shouldn't. Let's read it in context of all of 12 through 15. That's why I'm telling you to home read 12 through 15. Because you'll see the message of Paul is not about power over or revenge or cursing the other. It's about love. It's about goodness. It's about blessing. It's about submitting. And we want to bring transformation to the world. Imagine if the church got this right.
meaning not just the submitting, but the loving and blessing, doing good. Last thing, love others. Well, you've already said that, Brad. Yeah, I know, but Paul repeats it in (laughs) chapter 13. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You want to live a righteous life? Then love. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless, not curse. This is what we need to do now. We begin with renewing our mind. We love others. We bless others. We submit to that authority which is around us, and we just continue to love others. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, helps us with this. This is hard stuff to do. But if we rejoice in the Lord always, again we say rejoice. We let our gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. We don't become anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You see the renewal that's happening? My mind is being renewed. And as my mind is being renewed and I'm filled with peace, I'm able to love everybody. And as my mind is being renewed and I'm filled with peace, I I know that what that person does to me, it's nothing. So I can bless that person. I can feed that person that hurts me. I can give them water. And as I, the peace of God, and as I, as I think of whatever's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, um, I'm, I'm able to submit to the governing authorities and not worry about all the details, and I'm able to just continue to love others. It's a lifelong journey. So as we live this next two years before the next election cycle, let us choose to love people well, to bless people. And let us choose to live our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to God. Let's pray. Father, um, we we need your Holy Spirit to empower us. We can't do this on our own. And so as we choose to not be anxious and to pray and to bring our petitions to you and to be thankful. And as we choose to to nerpala, we ask that you would fulfill your promise and your peace, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds, and that you will be with us. Give us what we need to love the world around us. Give us what we need to bless those who persecute us, to feed those who are against us. We need your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.